listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Good morning. My name is Mark. If we have not met, I'm one of the leaders here and uh, have the privilege of most weeks getting to stand up and open God's word for us. And uh, we're at a great season in the life of the church, as you heard this morning. Many things coming, potluck starting back, life groups, tailgating, women's Bible study started this past week. I heard that was a great turnout, our men's group. I mean, so many great things happening. Uh, we usually kind of walk through a fall summer or uh, sermon series, and uh, this year uh, it will uh, be about 12 weeks through the parables. And so many of us are familiar with those stories, and so we're going to spend 12 weeks starting next week in the stories, uh, the stories of Jesus' tales. But today is going to be kind of a standalone. If you have your Bibles or on your devices, go to the book of Psalms. Psalm 15, it's only five verses, and that's where we're going to uh, uh, spend our time today. As you're turning there, you know our lives are, they're filled with questions. If you've been around children, you know this all too well. You've gotten questions like this, so how big is God? You know, got that one often. Does Satan have a last name? I've actually heard that one. One of my children one time asked, God, why, or, Dad, why did God make mosquitoes? And I've seen some of your, your arms and faces today were all wondering that as they seem to be out in droves. Once asked the question, why can't we see our eyes? No idea. Why is Whataburger ketchup fancy? What makes it fancy? Then I always love when my children go to Red Ribbon Week, or Red Ribbon Week comes to their school, and they tell me all the Bad things I'm doing probably. And I uh, heard a mom having a conversation with her child. And she says, Mom, have you ever smoked pot? Appalled. She says, no, absolutely not. She said, well, good. But why do people put their heads in these pots? I mean, she's trying to figure out what's going on. Talked to a swim teacher one time. Our kids are going through that. She said, I had a kid ask me one time, when do we learn to breathe underwater? You know, questions, they're everywhere. Do you know who's the most inquisitive? Four-year-old girls said four-year-old girls ask about 400 questions a day. So let me give us some perspective. That's a question every two minutes that they're awake most of the time. But you know, adults, we are always in this too. When you meet someone, you're going to get to know them and we use questions. You'll ask, hey, where are you from? What do you do for a living? How many children do you have? How much do you weigh? You know, you could get into these conversations with people, and we're using questions to get to know each other. I mean, even our phones and the devices that we have in our homes, you can simply call out a name and ask it a question. But then we all have those questions that we've kind of filed away, don't we? Questions that we say, man, one day I really want to know the answer to this. Like, why can't you tickle yourself, you know? Some of you are trying it right now. I get that. You're thinking, I've never heard that. Does that work? No, you can't. You can't tickle yourself. Why is that? At the movie theater, I'd love to know which armrest is mine. So I try to sit on the end. First of all, my wife has to get up about three times. But I get on the end because I know, okay, this one's mine. But how do you know which armrest is yours? I'm going to tell an Ophie for just a minute. Uh, She has a 
a spiritual gift of memorizing uh, commercial j- uh, jingles or the phrases that, the, you know, Nationwide is on your side. I mean, she has a spiritual gift of memorizing these things. And so her siblings were giving her a hard time the other day about memorizing that. She said, I don't memorize. I just hold things into my head for later. But thinking about memories, I mean, how do, how do we even store and retrieve memories? How does that happen? For some of you old-timers, how about this question? Why is a lone ranger called lone when he's always got his friend Tonto with him? Always wondered that. Or here's a great one. Why is it that when everyone that is driving faster than us is considered an idiot, and everyone driving slower than us is a moron? Now, you know you've done that. Man, look at that idiot just flying by. Next person driving. Well, they're such a moron. Why, why is that? You see, our lives, they are full of questions. And so this morning, I want us to look at, we'll see from Psalm 15, what I believe is one of the most important questions we could ever ask. What makes it so important? It's going to talk about things about if you've ever wanted to know who you are. I mean, at the core of, of who you are, who am I as a being? Or why am I here? Why was I given breath? What in the world is this life all about? You know, I think we see this when disasters happen. These are the questions that really become kind of move to the top and come to the surface. And so we need to ask this question from Psalm 15 this morning. So I'd like to read it. It's five verses. And then let's kind of walk through it. In your Bibles in the book of Psalm chapter 15 reads this way. A Psalm of David. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. Who does not slander with his tongue and who does no evil to his neighbor. Nor takes up a reproach against his friend. In whose eyes a vile person is despised but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. So this is a very interesting Psalm. In fact, Psalm 15, probably most likely written by David when he is returning the Ark of the Covenant Back to Jerusalem. In fact, later, this psalm was probably used when a worship service would have been conducted. The the participants, the Israel, would move in and they would begin asking the question, Am I able to enter? What does it take for me to come, basically, to church? What does it take for me to enter in to the sanctuary? And the priest would then respond with the requirements, the basics of faith. Another interesting thing about this psalm is that this could have been the psalm that Jesus was preaching from when we have the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. In fact, if you want an interesting study, take Psalm 15, go take the Sermon of the Mount, put them side by side, and the similarities are astonishing. Similar phrases and thoughts and points. And so it's very similar to Sermon on the Mount. In fact, some say, Jesus, this could have been what he was thinking of and teaching from in Psalm 15. So here we go. Here is the most important question we could ask. And it's, it's asked in two phrases. It says, one, O Lord, 
who shall sojourn in your tent? So who may sojourn? Meaning, who can come into the Lord's tent or the Lord's sanctuary? Now the tent, it is a, an important symbol. It, it symbolizes God's presence there. That is where you would gather the children of Israel and they knew that's where the Lord will be. So God's presence would dwell in this holy of holies. And if you're at all familiar with the tabernacle, it was set up in these, these phases. And you would walk in, there would be certain sacrifices that would take place. And as you moved closer and closer, it got more intense and more intense till you got to the great curtain. In fact, the priests were the only ones that were allowed into this holy place. And they would be selected. They would go through a cleansing process before they would ever dare go in side of the other side of the curtain into the Holy of Holies where the ark was held because it was so sacred. Not just anyone could enter. It was so sacred that a worshiper, an Israelite, had to have a priest to go in on their behalf. An Israelite, you would not dare enter into the Holy of Holies. The question is then phrased another way. Who shall sojourn in your tent? Into verse 1. Who now shall dwell on your holy hill? So the holy hill, often referenced to Zion, is another important symbol of God's presence. In fact, you remember back to Exodus 19, Moses and Mount Sinai? He's going up and, and he's going to receive the Ten Commandments. And it says that children of Israel are to get ready, they're to go through this entire cleansing process. And the Lord is going to dwell up on the top of the mountain that Moses will then go up on. That mountain was so holy at that moment, it tells Israel to put a barrier around the mountain and don't dare touch the mountain. And if someone did, you were to stone them or to shoot them with arrows. That is how holy and how sacred this place was. So to state the question plainly, we could say something like this. Who is it? Who can come into the presence of God? This is really the question. Who has the right? Who of us has the right to live in the presence of the Lord? I mean, that, that is the question. When we hear this question, it gets right at the heart of everything about us. Because you were made for a relationship with God. You were given life so that you could enjoy it in communion with Him. In fact, it doesn't matter whether you acknowledge it or not. The very purpose of every single human is that they were made for the Lord. Now, it sounds great. I mean, to me, I'm thinking, man, that sounds encouraging. God made me to dwell in His presence there's a question about who can go up on the tent or up on the hill, who can come into the city. And I'm thinking, yeah, I want to go. Until we think about that Holy of Holies and that mountain. Because access, it has to be granted. It's, in some ways, it's, no one gets to just say, yeah, I'm going I'm to go up that mountain or I'm going to go into that tent. And so what the psalmist is going to do, he's going to lay out the criteria. Because access has to be granted. There's, a, there's going to be a list before anyone can enter. And the sad thing now is that these verses, they should crush us. Because of this criteria, there's going to be ten statements. 
Two are general, and then eight of them are going to be very specific. So let's look at verse 2, the first one. This is who gets to walk up to sojourn into the tent. This is who gets to go up on the mountain. He who walks blamelessly. Let's stop right there. Talk about number one. Walks is the way a person lives. It's, it's everything about their life. Here at church, at home, in the workplace, everything about the person is blameless. means that everything that this person does is completely sincere. And there is nothing that this person could ever be caught doing in the wrong. This person lives with an absolutely clean conscience. I mean, I, I get a phone call sometimes. It's like, hey, I, I need to meet with you. And I'm thinking, oh, no, what did I do? I'm trying to go through, man, what, what have I done? I know in my conscience, it's not clean. Look at verse 2. He does what is right. Does what is right. Not just a good person or someone that tries to do the right thing, but someone who lives 100% in harmony with God's standard. Makes the right choice. Every single time, according to God's way. Every single time. Not what I think or what someone else might think, but God's way. His law does it right every single time. Look at number three. And speaks truth in his heart. Meaning you're trustworthy. In fact, when the Bible says this, it's talking about speaking complete truth all of the time. Not just someone who is capable of telling the truth. No incomplete, no twisted truths, no little white lies, not even exaggerations. 100% pure honesty. And then it says, in the heart, or yours might say, from the heart. When the Bible speaks about the heart, it's talking about the core of a person. But in his heart or from his heart, I think it could have two meanings. One, truth from the right place. Meaning speaking truth is not always the right thing to do when it comes from wrong motives or with a wrong heart. But this can also include that internal conversation that you're always having with yourself. I mean, I know about me, I'm in constant conversation with my own self. The heart never stops talking. Our hearts are always conversing about something. They always, our minds always have a viewpoint. So we're saying the person that gets admission into God's presence up on the hill or in the tent, that person's heart is absolutely filled with truth. That person not only thinks about what is right, their mind never has an impure or an untrue thought, Their heart's never trying to convince them to follow after self and sin. And that's just three requirements. Look at the fourth one in verse 3. Who does not slander with his tongue? This word slander is the idea of going out and spying. Going out and looking for information to spread about someone. But the person that gets admission that gets acceptance, is the one that is constantly ruled by God because their heart is ruled by Him and they would never speak ill against someone. 
Some things like this. Doesn't look for information to smear someone's reputation. Now, we've probably all been victim of that, or maybe we've even done that. Doesn't look for information to judge a person with. What about the last one I thought about? Doesn't share information that is not theirs to share. Well, what else? The list goes on. Look at number five at the end of verse three. And does no evil to his neighbor. No evil means not only doesn't do harm, but is loyal to those around them. So admission to God's presence is for the person that looks out for others. Treats them with respect and dignity. But he's not done. Look at the sixth one. Nor takes up reproach against his friend. Reproach, it's this interesting word. It's rooted in the Hebrew word, which means to strip, to tear off. That it means you would never do anything that would strip a person of their reputation. Very similar to verse 3. Because our words, they can strip a person of their reputation. Because whether, whether or not we realize it, or maybe that we do, but whether or not something is true, once it's said... It can't be unheard. And once it's out there, it can't be put back in. So this includes tearing someone down that we makes us feel better about ourselves. So he says access to God is for those who don't spread information about others, but protects the reputation of those around them, goes to their defense. Then we get to number seven. So even if we think, okay, so far... I got a pretty good chance at this thing. This verse in verse 4, this example number 7, man, it should show us that we have absolutely no leg to stand on. Look at verse 4. In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. What he is talking about here, that a vile person is despised. That in your eyes, a vile person is despised. It's not talking about a person. It's talking about how we view sin. Because he's viewing sin. This is how I think it is phrasing. It's saying, do we view sin the way God does? So a person that gets access to God's presence is one that is repulsed by sin as much as God is. Think about the sin that is hardest for you to avoid. I think we all have one. Heard a couple of people in passing today talking about anger. Maybe it's control, materialism, envy, drunkenness, gluttony, unforgiveness. Why are those such temptations, because really deep down, we really love the sin. We're not repulsed by it, really, in the least. We might feel bad about it after we've done something, but we're not repulsed by it. We're not sickened by it. So the person that God invites in loves what God loves, talking about honors those who fear the Lord. They enjoy being around that. But it despises what God despises. That in their eyes, vile person's sin 
They despise that. But we're to do it with the same passion that God has. I mean, that right there, we could stop and say, okay, there's absolutely no way I'm ever getting an invitation. I'll never get invited to the tent. There's no way I could ever approach the mountain. So just to make sure, he's got three more for us. He says, who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Meaning the person that gets admission is one that keeps their word even when it hurts. Or even when there might be loss. When people might look at them differently, might lose some trust, might lose uh, how people view you. But you keep your word no matter the cost. This person is honest even when they might lose in the end. Number nine, verse five. Who does not put out his own money for interest. What that's talking about, it's a phrase that means uh, does not bite. What it's talking about is that when people are in need, oh yeah, you would love to help out, but you want something in return. Oh yeah, I'll I'll help you out with some money, but there's interest. Oh, I'll do that for you, but now you owe me. It takes advantage of those in need. And then the tenth one, the end of verse 5, does not take a bribe against the innocent. Meaning it doesn't take advantage of other people, but it sticks up for the innocent and the needy. And so when you put all of these together, this is the type of person who God will grant to dwell in his sanctuary. This is the type of person who God's going to allow in his presence. That is the type of person who can dwell on his holy hill. The one who meets all of these requirements, each and every one of them, and each and every moment of each and every day perfectly. That is who gets in. And as we read that list, man, we should be crushed. We should feel our own unworthiness. In fact, this psalm is intended by God to crush you. We should feel the weight. In fact, we should actually feel this weight each and every day that we stand up. That we get up out of bed going, I don't deserve this day at all, much less to live in God's presence. And then think of coming and gathering as his children each and every week. We should come in with a feeling of complete unworthiness. We should realize that we don't deserve God's blessing, His favor, much less to be able to dwell where He is. But there's a hidden blessing. Although this psalm is intended to crush us, it's also intended to comfort us. But comfort, first of all, only comes to those that have first been crushed. And we begin to see this in the last part of verse 5. It says, he who does these things shall never be moved. You know, reading this as an Israelite, it was meant to point them forward. It was meant to take their eyes off of themselves and realizing, okay, this is not me. And the he he's talking about is not the person reading it. It's the one who could meet 
these qualities and walk into God's presence. This psalm is pointing them to the Messiah that was to come. In fact, this psalm is crushing, but then it's comforting because this is a psalm about sweet Jesus. This psalm is meant to remind Israel and and now us that we'll never achieve acceptance in God's presence based on anything that we we would ever do. Our merit will never be enough. And we see this being told all throughout the New Testament. Listen to Hebrews 12, 14. Strive for peace with everyone. And did you notice of those ten, how many of the requirements were about people in your relationships with them? It says, strive for peace with everyone. And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. The only way to see God is by holiness. Holiness is it's like the magic word. It's the ticket that gets you accepted into His presence. But we know that no one is able to earn that ticket on their own. Man, that should be defeating and discouraging and crushing. But when we come to the end of our own holiness, when you come to the end of your own merit, when you find something glorious... Listen to 2 Corinthians 5.21, one of my absolute favorite verses. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And notice it doesn't say that we might find. It says that we might become the righteousness of God. So when you come to the end of your own righteousness, we find the righteousness and holiness of Christ. Not only do we find it, it becomes yours. Every moment of righteousness. Think about this. Every single moment of perfection. Every good choice. Every rightly spoken word. Every godly decision. Every moment of unselfishness toward others that was lived by Christ, was actually lived as for you and me. Meaning when Christ came to earth, He was achieving the righteousness that you could not achieve so that this morning you could run in your weakness and in your failure and in your sin and in your struggle and in your rebellion to Him and to seek His help. Because without that, we have no hope. We are only invited into the presence of God when we abandon our own righteousness. We do not have to be ashamed or afraid. We can come to Him and He gladly welcomes us. And that should crush us and comfort us at the exact same time. So who shall sojourn up the tent? Who shall dwell on the holy hill? I mean, that is the most important question that anyone could ever ask. It's the question that answers who you are, why you've been given breath and life, what this life is all about. But you can't enter into God's presence. It has to be granted. So if you're looking to be welcomed based on your own efforts and good deeds, you'll never get accepted in. If you're looking to be welcomed based on kind of a curve that says, well, at least I'm not that bad. Access will never be granted. It is only by realizing that your goodness will never be enough and you look for someone else to represent you 
and his name is Jesus. That is the only way access is granted. And we should be humbled by that thought each and every day, especially when we gather as God's people. That God would have anything to do with us, much less desire for us to be in his presence. We should be crushed so that we can then be comforted. And so this morning, you know, I can think of no better way of celebrating, of thinking, of contemplating this than taking the Lord's Supper. But before we do that, I want to give us, well, you say, okay, Mark, that sounds great, but what is it then? Give, give me something that, that I need to do. Well, maybe a point could be this. Go this week and think about those ten qualities that you need that God wants to, we had laid before us about entering into God's presence. Because here's what happens. These are not qualities that God naturally finds in you. But they're qualities that he's desiring to build in you. And it only happens when you come to Christ and lay it all out there and allow him to do that. But take that list. Ask yourself, ask God, which of these qualities do I need more of you in? Is it blamelessness of living pure so that I have a, my mind is clean? Making the right decisions according to God's standards. Speaking truth to others, but also in your own mind. Maybe it's slander, controlling your tongue. A sin in your life that you know you need to despise more. The best thing I know is to ask God to make it distasteful to you. Maybe it's keeping your word even at great cost. Ask God to develop these qualities in you more. So we should be crushed by Psalm 15, but then comforted knowing that Jesus fulfills these qualities of that righteous person, the one that gets in, and he does it on our behalf. So I can think of no greater way this morning than communion. That we are invited into God's holy presence based solely upon the righteousness of Christ. And so this morning, we're actually going to bring our preschoolers in. They're going to be studying this uh, over the next couple of weeks. And then we thought, let's let them see the church in action. So they're going to come in, and the parents, at the end, you can pick them up here. But church, this morning, we will participate in the act of remembering the one who has earned our acceptance for us. The one that earns that ticket and then gives it to us. We remember the one that took our sin, our failure and rebellion as if it was his own. And then he turns around and he gives us his perfect righteousness and holiness as if we actually lived it. That should crush us and comfort us. In fact, Christ has lived a life that we could never live and he died the death that we deserved. So in this act of worship this morning, we should be crushed by our own sin and rebellion, but then comforted knowing that God had a plan for our acceptance. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.